Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. A gift of spiritual family. Now, I thought this story was kind of uh, appropriate um, at the beginning that I'll tell you a little bit of American history that I didn't learn in the classroom, believe it or not. Um, but is actual history for our country. And all of us know the story, of the, or should be semi-familiar with the story of the first Thanksgiving, about how the, the, the pilgrims and the settlers came to the new land, and then these, you know, the, um, the, the Native Americans, you know, kind of helped and showed them how to use, you know, uh, how, to, how to use the land and which animals to hunt and gave them tips to hunt so they could survive. And we know that the main, the main uh, Native American person that was involved with the, the settlers was, anybody know, besides the teacher in the room, anybody else know? I heard it. I heard an S over here. It's Guanto. There you go. And so, um, so the I didn't know how much and how deep the story went for him, and just how much that he was an answer to prayer. And the ten years before the settlers arrived, he went through some crazy stuff to be prepared to help people who wound up to be his brothers and sisters in Christ because he found the Lord. I didn't know this, and so um, uh, just to give you a little bit of background, uh, Squanto, uh, I didn't, well, another thing that I didn't know, there's a lot I don't know, I'm learning a lot, uh, but there's, um, I didn't know that there were a lot of trade ships coming to the shores of North America and doing trade with the Native Americans before the pilgrims came. I didn't know that. There were a lot of ships from England, from Europe, from Africa, from several nations that would come, and they would trade Things like, you know, supplies or food or weapons or, or fabrics or things of this nature with the Native Americans. And one of the, one of the guys who came through, I wanted to dance right there. Uh, one of the guys who came through um, who was leading one of these ships was a very evil man. And he, he, he was coming to do trade. And during the, the exchange of goods, he decided that him and his crew were going to assault, attack, and kidnap some of the Native Americans because he thought, I can make more money selling people. So he, he, uh, he actually captured Squanto and several of the people that were with him and put them on a ship and took them back towards Europe. He eventually sold Squanto and all the other people that were with him in um, in, in Europe, and Squanto was purchased by uh, some Spanish monks who were believers. They didn't treat the slaves that they quote-unquote purchased the same way other people treated slaves as a commodity they could just get rid of. They treated, them, they treated him with respect. They treated him well, and in the process, shared the gospel with him and at that point, Squanto was introduced for the first time to Jesus. After he had been in their service for about five years, he told them, I want to go back to, the, to, to my homeland. And so they allowed him to go catch a ship to Europe, or I'm sorry, to, to England, where he worked for another five years for a man until he found the ship that was going to the place that he needed to go to reconnect with his tribe. Ten 
years. If you left at 25, you came back at 35. If you're in high school, that seems like forever for you. And it was forever for him. Ten years. But while he was in England, he learned how to speak English. And he returned to the land that we now refer to as America. They were calling it the New World. Armed with the gospel and the English language. He came back to find a very devastating scenario because the entire population of his tribe died in that 10-year span that he was gone. War, famine, disease ravaged his tribe, and all of them died. He actually joined another tribe for a while to try to learn their customs, and then one day he heard of these settlers who came from the place he had just come from, from England, and they were pilgrims, and they were struggling, and they were living in a place that his tribe used to occupy. So as he approached them, he, he felt compelled in his heart that I need to go help these people for some reason, and he went to help them, and when he walked up, he didn't greet them in his native tongue. He greeted them in theirs. And can you imagine being in a nation you've never been to and this Native American guy dressed completely different than you walks up and says, hello. What? Squanto began to teach them how to hunt, what to hunt for, the right crops to grow in the, in the soil and the time frames of the seasons, what could grow. And eventually all of those people Half of, half of the, the people in that, um, in that colony died, but the other half lived and flourished, and they, they flourished so well with so much abundance of crops that they invited Squanto and the tribe he was now a part of to come and participate in a mass celebration of Thanksgiving because God answered their prayer. This is an excerpt. I put it in your notes just because I thought it was very uh, relevant for our message here today. The Diary of Pilgrim Governor William Bradford. This is a quote from his diary. This is in the early 1600s. <clears throat> Squanto became a special instrument sent of God for our good. He showed us how to plant our corn, where to take fish and procure other commodities, and was also our... Um, our pilot to bring us to unknown places for our profit and never left us until he died. Squanto bequeathed his possessions to his English friends as, quote, remembrances of his love. Before Squanto passed, he wanted to ensure his heart was right before Almighty God and asked the governor to pray with him to ensure that he was prepared to meet his maker. I never realized the Christian beginnings of the story about how this man was so, I mean, persecuted against his will in 10 years to come back home. I mean, if we wanted to jump on a, a flight to get back from England to the, to the East Coast, we could probably get one tomorrow, maybe two days if we had the funds to pay for it. But 
all of that was not available to him as he waited years, multiple years, to find one ship going back to his place. The pilgrim settlers, and next line your notes, needed help to survive. And God answered their prayer with Squanto. The culture might, our, our culture is leaving its imprint on, on the church, and that's one of the things that we're trying to do with the Word of God in our gathering here is to remove that imprint and let the scriptural, biblical imprint be um, the thing that is our guiding um, influence as opposed to the culture. But the culture might say, well, you know what? It never should have happened. Never should happen. It was wrong that he was captured and put into slavery. And I would say, yeah, that's an immoral act. He never should have went in, into Spain to, to be owned by monks. Okay. Yeah, slavery was an immoral act. He never should have had to wait five years. He never even should have left his home. He should have been there with his people. You are exactly right. The only problem is... We don't live in this pipe dream utopia. We live in the real world where people are given the opportunity to choose and sometimes their actions impact us. Was it quote unquote right that that happened? No, no one wants to be enslaved. I don't want to see anybody enslaved. But we sometimes negate the creative nature of God outside of what we see. We see the sun, we see the moon, we see the stars, we see the plants, we see the animals, we see the, 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 the creation, we see everything that, is, that God has made, but we sometimes neglect, neglect to recognize the creative brilliance of how God takes a wicked heart when it is submitted to him and changes it into something completely different. How he can take the, the impact of disobedience and weave it into a, a tapestry of beauty that reflects him because of forgiveness, grace, mercy, and repentance. There is a creative nature to God, a creative brilliance to him that we often just go, well, God can use something bad that happened to us in a good way. Absolutely. That is the level of his creativity to be able to take something broken, stinking, rotten, evil, immoral, wicked, and polish that up. And when it is placed in his hands, go, look, I'm going to put you as a beacon to shine my goodness to the lost world. He's wildly creative in those ways. Well, let's just think for a second. What would have happened if Squanto didn't be captured? He would have died with the rest of his people. He never would have met Jesus. He would not have learned English. And he would not have had a way to be the communicative communicative mouthpiece between the natives and the new settlers to help everyone survive together. The settlers needed Squanto. They didn't know they needed him, and Squanto did not realize that he was going to be prepped for 10 years prior to a prayer being prayed of need of people who were settling here. 
sidebar real quick. If you're in the middle of some type of struggle of your life, put your trust in the God who navigates you through it. This is taking forever. Has it been 10 years? Because it was for Squanto. 10. 10 New Year celebrations, 10 Christmases, 10 Easter celebrations, 10 of his birthdays, 10 of those. When is it going to come? I need to get back there. I want to go back home. I want to be with my people. Why is this happening to me? And he gets there and realizes why it's happening to him. Because God used the circumstances of his life to be an answer to prayer that had not even been prayed yet. That's how creative our God is. When I started thinking about this week, it made me realize that, man, had Squanto never endured the immoral actions against him, then he never would have met Christ or been able to help. Every single one of us in the family of God has a role to play. Some are more intense, some are more burdensome than others, but we all have a role to play in this family of God. And Paul speaks to this family, this needing of each other, this gift of a spiritual family in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 uh, verses 12 through 22. And he uses a, a metaphor of us belonging to, uh, of us being and belonging to a body of Christ. And let's read what he says here. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized at the one body by one spirit, capital S, meaning the Holy Spirit. And we all share the same spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it, that does not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear says, excuse me, if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part where he wants it. The, uh, how strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Now, when we talk about needing each other, I want to I set a, a quick parameter here. I don't want to elevate the importance of man. I also don't want to diminish it. Here's what I mean. God doesn't need you. He, he don't need me. He doesn't need anything. And if he did need anything, he would be God. He is all-powerful, made everything, spoke it into existence, formed us with dirt on the ground from, uh, with his hand, and out of his creative brilliance, he don't need you or me or nothing. He's self-sufficient. However, he has decided by his creative design to use us. There's some times where I go, I don't know if I would have made this plan. There has to be a better idea than me <laughs> carrying the gospel to people. But through his wisdom, his design, that is 
his purpose for us. Next on your notes. God does not need us. He is God, so he doesn't need anything. However, God has designed his children as his instruments to carry the message of the gospel to the world. Let's keep going. Next on your notes. Our culture constantly promotes the idea of self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. But we are designed to need God and each other. I don't care who you are. I don't care who the greatest hero of your life is. I don't care the, the, the person that you admire most in business and finance and sports and your chosen area of expertise, your career field, whatever. Every single person had to have help to get to where they are. Everybody. We say it a lot here at RCC is that this, there's no superheroes in this room, especially the people behind the microphone. There's not. No one was like, you know what? I figured out this thing out by myself. Ah, and that's why I get to go be the guy, the pastor who speaks. No. doesn't happen that way. Everybody has help at some point. I have help in small conversations where people I trust look at me and go, let's rethink that one. I have help with my wife who looks at me sometimes and says, did you hear how that sounded? Because I don't think that's what you meant. Everybody has some form of help. Do you think that this room magically appeared like this because I walked in here and did it by myself? No. There's a crew of people that do that. Why? Everybody needs help. And if we can get away from the idea of self-sufficiency, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and take the gift that has been given to us of our spiritual family. We will find what a great, empowering blessing God has given all of us as his children. That's his spirit, his word, and each other. Paul continues driving this point home, not just in Corinthians, but also to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 12, 4 through 17. Here's what he says. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God's given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you the leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. 
Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. There's a whole bunch of, whole bunch of good stuff that we could spend a lot of time on right there. But I want to focus on one thing in particular here. Yes, he tells us whatever our gift is to do it well. Take the time, learn the task, do it well, do it with excellence, do it with everything you've got. Yes, we are supposed to be doing that, but why? So I can stand up and be like, I'm the best one to ever do this. So that we can be an effective member of the body of believers together. I had a friend of mine, um, after I came to ministry school, I called him back in Florida, in uh, Panama City, and uh, Arthur, if you're watching, what's up, buddy? Um, but he, I called and talked to him one day, and I was, you know, I was in that, raised in the, you know, in the denominational church where it was like, you know, what are you going to do to win the world? You know, it was like Hulk Hogan was my youth pastor, you know, come on, brother, like, what are you going to do today? to let the Holy Spirit run wild on you, right? They always did stuff like that. And um, so if you don't know who Hulk Hogan was, you're a child. <laughs> Google him, Google him, Google him. And, um, and uh, so I called my friend, and I was, you know, first year of ministry school, and I was like, man, what am I going to do to win the world? What are we going to do to win the world? And he talked to me with this calmness that I had not heard out of him before. And he goes, Matt, one of my greatest days of freedom was the day when I realized it's not my responsibility to win the world. And I just paused in stunned, utter, I was like, this is a heretic. This guy, what happened to him? I've only been gone six months and now he's telling me he doesn't want to win the world. He goes, no, I've been relieved of the burden to do that. That's God's job. My job is to go represent him well and to live well in front of other people. And as I sat and thought about that, I thought, I'm not supposed to win the world? What do I do now? Because I thought I had to have this big old master plan that every person that I ever could touch could ever hear. The, I needed to get on the biggest platform with the biggest microphone and the biggest visibility so everybody could see and tell the world because I'm supposed to tell the world. But it's not what he says here. What he says here first threw me for a loop. Um, he talks about serving each other. I didn't, I didn't grow up like that. I grew up that when we went to, when we went to church, you know, it was like that, it was kind of legalistic. You know what I mean? Like, like we don't tell these people our problems. We come to church because God took care of all my problems. And we don't say these things to other people. And I understood that because I didn't want to tell my garbage to anybody else. That's embarrassing, right? Of course. How you doing? Great. 
I was beaten three times on the way here because I have been disobedient to my parents, but I am awesome. You know what I mean? <laughs> my mom's here. She's laughing. She didn't really beat me that much. This was my dad. Um, uh, blame it off on him. But, um, you know, we were, we were, you know, we could not, we could not tell those people our problems. Why? Because then they would think, I have a problem. And then what kind of faith in God do you have if you have a problem? And as God began to dissolve that arrogant mindset in my own life to be like, I can't tell nobody I got a problem. To be open, honest, and transparent. I realized that it put me in a vulnerable position to need the help of the people around me. Um, because of all these things that he listed here in, in Romans, all the leadership, all of the serving others, all the teaching, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. I was so focused on running out there to win the world that I never stopped to ask if the guy next to me was all right. Is the person running with me limping? And if he is, did I even notice? And if I did, did I even ask, what happened to you? I was so focused on, I got to go win the world for Jesus by myself, that I didn't look at my brother or my sister in the pew next to me and go, wait a minute, should we start running yet? Because if I'm the only one that can walk here without the limp, and everyone's in pain, maybe... I'm supposed to serve them first? I'm not diminishing our role of spreading the gospel. Absolutely not. We have to do that. But we also have to live in this tension where there's two sides of the coin, two levels of responsibility. We're supposed to be using our gifts to serve each other. How ridiculous would it have been if Squanto walked up speaking English with a full belief in God and said, Hi, pilgrims. I know you're dying. I know uh, why you're dying because you don't know how to live here. I want to help you. And they went, No, man, get away. And ran him off and threw rocks at him as he went down the, down the path. That'd be stupid. Why? They had no clue how to live. They had no clue how to survive. They needed him in the same way that we need each other. And newsflash, God designed us to need each other. Believers in Christ are directed to use our gifts to, number one in your notes, serve the body of Christ. Serve the body of Christ. Next line, care for people inside the local fellowship of believers. <clears throat> care for people inside the local fellowship of believers. I have to admit that early on in ministry, I had no, I didn't even think twice about the people who were inside because you were getting the teaching, you were sitting in the worship, and then, you know, everybody, one, two, three, break. Run back out there and we'll see you next week and bring your offering. You know what I mean? I had no concern if you were doing all right because you heard the same message I did. You heard the same God I did. And if I was doing okay, Cool, and if I was doing okay, I had to go, cool, and limp along as if there was no problem because I didn't want to 
tell the, my brothers and sisters that I needed some help. How can you serve somebody inside the body of Christ? Uh, give somebody a ride to work while their car's repaired. Oh, Matt, you're just talking about being nice. Mm -mm. I'm talking about you as a believer in Christ, seeing the need of another believer in Christ. And if you have the ability to meet the need, meet it. And if you don't, pray that God would send someone to meet it. Um, maybe you go as far as to the person who needs a ride to work going, hey, man, uh, your car's broke down, right? How can I help? Well, it's going to be 800 bucks to fix it. I've only got 500 let me call a few of my friends and see if we can all chip in a little bit of here and maybe we can come up with the other 300 bucks. It doesn't always, also doesn't have to do a lot with money or repairing vehicles, which I use as, a, as an example because I am terrible at that. <clears throat> um, but it could be sitting down with somebody who's just experienced loss and letting them get out all of those thoughts and emotions that are conflicting inside of them and sitting there and being like, hey, bro, I get it, and I still love you. How in the world can we find a way to serve one another? Because that's one of our jobs. Let me give you a little bit of a ridiculous example that I thought of, and this kind of gives you a glimpse of what goes on inside this head right here because I'm glad people can't see all the stuff that goes on in here. But um, this is just kind of a little random uh, 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 visualization of this, okay? Have you ever seen somebody with the ability, when they're in the shower, to pick up a bar of soap with their ear? Have you ever seen somebody do that? If you have, please send me the, the YouTube video because it must be something I've missed Right? Can you imagine that thing going like sucking down on a, on, a, on, a, on a bar of soap and trying to grab that? And then once you got it, even if you strengthened your ear some way that you could pick up a bar of soap with that ear, have you ever tried to bend down with that and, to, and wash your knee? How do, it doesn't work. And you're like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Right. That's what we're trying to do when we act outside of how we're designed to serve each other. It's ridiculous. Why? Because I've been given hands, and those hands serve every other part of my body because I pick the soap up, and I can reach my feet. I can reach my knee. I can reach behind my neck. I can reach all to all the places that need to be cleaned with my hand because that's the purpose of it. It's not the purpose of the year. I can serve the body if I'm a hand because I can reach places the ear can't. But my hands can't nourish me. My mouth does. My teeth specifically chew up the food because I can't swallow an apple whole. If you've seen that video, please send it to me too. I'd like to see that one. I can't swallow the apple whole. I've got to chew it down. I have to break it down so that my stomach can serve the rest of my body by pulling out the nutrients and giving me energy. And then my kidneys serve to, to eliminate all of the stuff that I don't need in the waste. And in so doing so, it helps me, my body, function properly and stay alive. But then, it's not only supposed to do that. My hands can be put towards labor to provide 
for the entire body. My feet can carry my mouth to the point where I need to speak the message of hope of the gospel. Everything works together as it should. Yes, to benefit each other and then also the world. Number two. Second thing we're supposed to do is not just serve the body of Christ, but serve as the body of Christ. Next line, serve people outside our local fellowship of believers. So it's a really good example, too, of the family. Your primary responsibility is first to God. Second is to your family. And then third is to everyone else. You have to keep nurturing the body so that I can go and accomplish the task it's been assigned to give. Every single one of us needs to look for ways to serve each other. And then, we all good? Let's now take that that same heart that beats for everybody inside our fellowship of believers, members of the body of Christ, and then go be salt and light to a dying, flavorless, dark world. We got two responsibilities. The greatest commandment is what? Love God and love people. And then Paul drills that down even further and says, love and serve each other. Love and serve others. Do you think when Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by the way they love, that you love each other, do you think that meant, oh, they saw us hug, saw me dap up my bro and like give him a little, the man, not the hug, but the little man, like, good. Do you think it meant that we walk around and be like, we just love everybody? Or do they go, wait a minute, how did you get to work today? Oh, the people in my church came. Hey, you broke your leg and your kids were out of town and they couldn't go to the hospital. How'd you make it there? Did you call 911? No, I called somebody from my church. Wait, y'all look out for each other like that because what's being presented is we all come and we all clap and then we all leave and we don't know anybody. And that's not what that book we're all supposed to be reading says. It's one of the reasons we continually try to put us in environments, community night next week, have a meal together, come for discipleship, come for those Wednesday night things, come for the, the events that we're having, not, not events, but these gatherings that we're having. Why? Get to know each other, meet the need. It doesn't all have to be a linchpin or revolve around Nina and I. Y'all can start doing stuff for each other that I never know about. And guess what that would, guess what that would be? You being the church. I can go help some people that you may never know about. And guess what that would be? Me being the church. And that's what we're supposed to be. Do you think that type of love for each other, I got your back, I'm not leaving you hanging. If you're stuck, call me, I'll come get you. If you're stuck, I'll give you the ride. I'll make sure you get to work. Here, take my car or whatever the scenario would be. 
Do you think that type of love and it got everybody's back is, is, is appealing to the world? Yes. Why? Because they preach self-sufficiency and fail at it miserably. And they're looking for where can I connect to genuine people who truly love me. It can be here. But I love you not because I'm a really good lover. No, I love you because he first loved me. And I can't help. I can't help but love him. Serve the people that are here and serve others. That is the gift of our spiritual family. That is the gift that God has given us to look out for each other and then take the message of the gospel to the world. Matt, I don't even like everybody in this room. I don't care. Was that in the, did I miss that in the passage? You must like all these people. That, no. You must have a personality that hits it off with everyone. Mm-mm. Nobody in this group of believers in your family is ever going to irritate you. <laughs> Not going to happen. Just like your real family. Everybody's got that weird uncle. I got two of them. I'm just kidding. Sorry, uncle, if you're watching. <clears throat> you're going to have these moments of irritability with people. It's going to happen. Doesn't mean that the serving each other stops. Why? Because the condition is not, do I like them? The condition is, did God do it for me? Has he given me a gift in you? Because when it's time to fight, I don't know about you, but I don't care if I like you or not if you came to fight with me. My opinion might suddenly change. We got to serve each other. And then we got to serve the lost. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, I want Roots Community Church not to be a place where we ingest God's word so much and we just become giant oaks that never move. The goal here is not to create a forest. The goal here is to create fruit-bearing trees that go and deposit God's goodness and the fruit of your life to others. So I'm going to ask um, as a church that we do something over the next three weeks. There's only four more Sundays after this Sunday before um, the end of the year. There's really five, but at the last one, we, we don't have service the last Sunday of the year just to have time with our families and stuff because it's the day after Christmas. The one right before that on the 19th is a, a big Christmas event that we want to invite all of you to, all your families, and bring friends to it. We'll be over in the main building for that night, but there's only three more weeks, three more of those Sundays, three more of those weeks before we get to the full-on Christmas holiday family mode. And I want to challenge you over the next three weeks to do something very specific. I'm going to ask Jill to get the, 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 oh, you've got them already. And so here's what I would like you to do. I'd like you to hand those out to, um, uh, just hand them out to everybody. If you're in a family, just take one of them. Um, if you're not 
If your family members aren't here or you're just by yourself today, just take one. That's fine. <clears throat> but if you're part of a family, just take one of them, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. And actually, Jill, if you can hand me one, too, for real quick. I'm sorry. Thank you, Jill. So here's what I want to do. If I, I'm not, there's no way I can force you to do anything, right? We presented the 90 days of scripture reading to, to get through the New Testament in 90 days. Can't force you to do any of that. Can't force you to do this. But I'm going to strongly encourage you to do it. And if you are a father in this house and you have a family at home, I'm going to encourage you to lead the way. I'm going to lay that pressure right on you as the leader. I'm going to lay it right on you. I want to encourage you to do one thing with your family for the next three weeks, and that's this. To gather your family, and if you're, and if you're like, and I'm, 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 you know, don't have a family to do this with, you can do it on your own. Or you can get some friends that are like family together, whoever it is. You can come connect with me, and you know, we, we'll, we'll be happy. You'll just absorb you right in. And you can do this with us, but I'm going to encourage you over the next three weeks to do this. To have an honest conversation between the people that are in your family, in your group, in your friend circle, and say, who or what are we thankful for? And the first thing you're going to be tempted to do is like, I'm thankful for my job. Or, I mean, okay, great. I am too. If you just prayed through because you've been unemployed for months and God miraculously opened the door for you to get the job that you have, yes, write that down. But I don't want you to just take the first thing that comes to your mind. I want you to say, who or what are we thankful for? Is it mom? Is it the kids? Is it dad? Is it an opportunity that God opened up for us? Who and what are we thankful for? And write it down. And at some point in time, who you're thankful for should incorporate every one of the people in your family. Next thing, when you identified who or what you're thankful for, I want you to get really detailed. Why are we thankful for them? I'm thankful for my job because it pays the bills. Now, this is not like some homework assignment you just got to fill in the blanks for. What am I thankful for? I'm thankful that God took an angry, confused, lost heart and showed, showed me what grace could really do. Grateful for my wife, not because she's really good at that singing stuff. No. Because she doesn't stand here and look at you and try to sing songs. She sits there and says, what is going to get us to think about him? And present that in a way. Why am I thankful for my son? Not because he's just my son, good guy, and I love him. No, because he shows up here before almost everybody and moves chairs. Calls the stuff back and forth. 
sets up sound, runs it when no one's here, fills in the gaps of stuff that I can't do. Why? Nobody does it alone. Grateful that my wife made me a husband. Grateful that my son made me a father. Grateful that God put us together and made us a family. You see where I'm going? Drill down just a little bit. Next question I want you to ask your, your, your group, of the, your family or friends that are around you, or even just yourself, is who did we serve? And here's what I mean. That implies you had to serve somebody. I don't care if you made a breakfast burrito or the homeless guy at the end of the street that you pass on the, on the way to work. Take all your family and go serve them. I don't care who it is. If you know a shut-in, it could be a relative that you served. Don't, uh, it can be in-house, it can be external. I don't wanna put any parameters on it. Serve somebody in the family of believers or serve somebody outside. And then after you go see them and serve them and provide something for them, talk to them for a minute, bring that family or you back together, sit somewhere and say, what did we notice about us after serving? Not about everybody else. Man, there's a bunch of needs in the world. Yes. Okay. What did we notice about us? Did our perspective change? Did that guy who annoys us because he stands there with the sign and asks for a dollar every day, and we kind of he kind of makes it awkward, so I have to pretend I'm on my phone or m messing with the radio or something, so I don't stare at him. Did, the, did my neighbor, the guys who is kind of are loud every once in a while and smoke, did he? Is it just those guys who annoy me, or is it Jonathan, who's been sober for 40 days, who? used to really serve the Lord and now is trying to figure it out again and tired of abusing the substances and wants a Bible. Because when that homeless guy turns into somebody you know that has a name, you start having the heart of the Father. It's presented in Scripture to serve the people outside of this. If you wanted to go really crazy and serve two people, one inside and one outside, I wouldn't be mad at you. Whatever capacity you could. Let's not just be hearers of the word. Let's be doers. At the end of Romans, Paul makes quite a statement. He says, do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Mm. Is that so people can go, that dude's really honorable? No. And so it can reflect on the heart that has been changed in us by the God who creatively orchestrates everything for our good if we have submitted to him. So I'm going to ask you, over the next three weeks, once a week, so three separate times, to do this. By yourself, 
You're like, Matt, I don't have a lot to give. You can find a way to serve somebody. Doesn't cost money. It might. Doesn't have to. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would guide you to the correct person that needs help. Could be somebody in your home. Could be somebody with your same last name. It could be somebody who used to have your same last name. I don't care. Why? Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody. So the challenge, the pressure, the positive peer pressure, if I can call that, the, the, the nudge, the hey, come on, let's go do this together, is not so we can sit after three weeks and go, Let's count up all the people that we reached and touched and put out a number online so we can tell everybody we're doing. No. It's so it changes us to act like his word. Goal is not to advertise it. Goal is to reflect him. If we do that, I'll be confident when I stand before him to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I'm after.